What are the things that cause resistance for people to actually improve their brand? Number one thing is storytelling. And the second thing was relationships. Listen, we have a a severe level of FOMO right now as businesses, especially coming through COVID, that we need to recognize that we are afraid that if I don't talk to everybody or appeal to everybody, then I'm leaving money on the table. And that is completely incorrect. And we use an excuse such as, but Kate, it depends on who I'm talking to. So I give one message over here and one message over there. Listen, I work with a ton of businesses where that's actually the case where we have like a layered messaging so that the CFO hears one message and the CMO hears another. But let's be very clear. Ultimately, you have a very deep level heart pain that you solve for your clients, for your customers. And the job in your brand is to call that out. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Welcome or welcome back to the Bombshell Business Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Hurdle, and we have no announcements today, so we're going to dive right in. I know y'all love it when we just skip the fluff, not that we do a lot of that, and get down to how this is going to impact you. And I am giddy about the conversation I'm about to have today because y'all know I'm a brand nerd and I love dissecting brands and I love understanding brands and I love positioning brands and I love everybody understanding the value so they can confidently share that with the world and increase all the things, revenue, influence, joy, happiness, like whatever your heart desires. If you have a strong brand, personal brand, business brand, like you you've got things going on. So let me tell you about our guest today who is going to help us navigate this juicy topic. Kate DeLeo, also Sicilian, I learned in our pre-call, is a brand architect and number one international best-selling author whose approach is rooted in the belief that brand is the path of least resistance to revenue. Amen. She teaches you to eliminate complex and ineffective storytelling by delivering a simple yet provocative message that tells prospects what you do, how you solve their problem, and how you differ from the competition. So it sounds like she and I are very much on the same page of how we get there. I want to welcome you, Kate, to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I have to tell you, I'm highly caffeinated and hydrated for today's conversation. So it's going to be great. It is going to be great. I have my my LaCroix, of course. So um, the coffee's over there. That's already been done for today. Um, my sparkling water as well. We're all set. Yes. See, see, we're, we're one in the same. So let's talk about Let's just kind of talk about, let me back way up before we even get into your strategy and your process of how you do things. Let's back way up. Why did you start caring about branding? You know, it was re- it's really interesting. I don't think I ever had this point where I started, quote unquote, caring about branding out of uh, this passion. Um, I fell into branding. I had no intention of doing this. I was supposed to have a PhD in linguistic anthropology by now. Okay, but here's what the thing is. I was about to start my uh, postgraduate work and the market crashed. (laughs) Oopsie. So here I was and I had a professor that said to me that, you know, Kate, we don't even know where this field is going to be. You're wanting to get this professor position to teach at a university. And there's maybe only 30 in North America. He's like, my recommendation is you literally leave academia, go get a job, pay off your debt, come back. And of course, my Sicilian father was like, yes, I love you. Please leave my house. Like, go get a job. Bye-bye. 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 So I did. I left. And here's what happened. I fell into branding 
on accident, I call myself an accidental brand strategist, and it was actually because I took a sales job. And I took a sales job at the time. That's what happened, right? Marketing was cut. So you had to go get a sales job. And here I am, totally new. And I took the dumbest sales job ever. And you're like, I can't do sales without marketing and branding. Those things come before this. Totally. But I get in there and they give you like all the scripts and they give you a database of 10,000 people. And they're like, have fun smiling and dialing 40 to 60 dials a day. And I'm a week into this thing and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be out of a job. Because something was off, like their brand pitch was off that they had given me. And so here's the thing is I began to get curious about what I didn't even know was called brand at the time. Mm -hmm. When I really stepped back from a sales perspective and actually asked myself, well, hang on a second. If I were on the other end of this phone call, what would I want to know to remotely want to have a conversation? And I tested out saying three things that I've now since spent over 10 years helping companies globally do. And it's now called the brand trifecta, but it's very simple. Here's what somebody needs to know from a brand in the first 15 to 30 seconds. Tell me what you do. That's your tagline. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you solve my problem. Value proposition statement. And tell me how you're different and better than the rest. Differentiator statements, like the one, two, three bullet points. That's it. It ended up working. I ran a $1.2 million year quota, selling $2,000 a pop products and services. So do the math. It's a lot of sales. Got recruited into the agency world, recruited into corporate, and I was a side hustler. I was a side hustler for a decade before I took this business full time, but I've worked with about 300 companies now globally to take them through the process. Wow. I love it. So where do you find the resistance when working with companies and trying to get them to this place of understanding and really getting clear and specific in those three areas. Yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting. I think the symptoms that we often hear on the front end, and I'm sure you can resonate with this is they, you know, you hear things like, well, I'm struggling to get prospects to the table. Mm-hmm. Kate, my sales cycle is getting longer and longer. Uh, I have a new product or service. I have no idea how to talk about it because message a over here is not going to cut it for product B. Um, everybody on our team is saying something different. I have 35 ways that I think can talk about my business. So there's a lot of symptoms that would get me to understand as a brand architect to say, stop, hold on, something's off with the message. We've got to clarify, tighten that up and give you the one, two, three. The resistance often comes in though, when we handedly get hung up on two things, storytelling and relationships. Mm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, let's unpack that. You know what? I love reading a good book, don't you? Oh, for sure. I'm a fiend. But brand is not a story. It's not. It's a conversation. Yeah. Your brand should be a conversation that converts. What do I mean by that? Well, really good brands in the market, whether it is a consumer-facing brand, it's a B2B services, doesn't matter, right? Um, Really great brands have a level of provocation between when you read and see their tagline to the next sentence to the next sentence that actually allows the user or the customer even subliminally or internally to go, really, what do you mean by that? Hang on a second. They totally just called out what I'm dealing with. Whoa. And you're drawing that customer into a conversation with your organization before they've even called you up on the phone. That's what great brands do. The thing is, is that we get hung up on storytelling because this is what everybody's been buzzing about for the last five to 10 years. Storytelling is great. The issue is that this is about order of operations of your content. So brand, we have to remember, is your first 30 to 60 seconds of what you walk in the door with. 
Yeah. It infiltrates every other part as the backbone of your content, but stories come later in the conversation. So let's talk about that start to finish. So you have your brand, then what before the storytelling? Like if storytelling's not first, and that's like, it's been such a, such a hot buzz thing. Like you got to tell stories. It's like, okay, but to what end? Well, if you walk into the room and you met me, right? What's the first thing you're going to ask me? I mean, what do you do? <laughs> a great tagline should respond to, for 99% of businesses out there, your tagline is supposed to get at, what do you do? And I'd look at you and I'd say, well, Amber, I help organizations build brands that win more work. That's a good, that's a good tagline. That win- now, by the way, the Midwesterners listening to this are like, oh, that's so pretentious. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, We're told culturally, like, don't talk about yourself. Hold on, it's not pretentious. It's very. But that's what branding is: is defining and positioning your value. That's yes. what it is. So that's oh not gosh. arrogant. That's just letting people know how you can be of service to them. Here's the thing: is if you, if again, go back to that scenario. If I walked in, you and I walked into this room, and you asked me what I do, and I went into some crazy story about how I served this person and did it, your eyes would glaze over. But oh, I lost her. Have you ever had that happen where you're like, oh, my God, like you try and get your pitch. The story comes later after somebody has a sense of context of what you do and how you can help them and how you're different. So if we think about the triangle of content, your brand pitch comes up here, tip top, Mm -hmm. so that somebody gets to the point of conversion where they actually care to hear the stories and read the white papers and watch the explainer videos and Look at all your cool charts on your product or service page, feature benefit. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, okay. So I'm, I'm a business and I want to, I want to start scaling. I've been, you know, just kind of been flying by the seat of my pants and it's working so far, but I'm not living up to my potential because I'm not really clear on who exactly I'm serving. I feel like I'm serving lots of different types of people. I'm being spread thin. Like I, you know, I hear the riches are in the niches, but I'm afraid to let go of all this other stuff. And so you come in and you're like, all right, first of all, what do you do? Right. And then, and then how do you get to the, this part is always the part that, that people struggle with, in my opinion, is the problems that they solve. How do you get them there? Well, this goes back to you asked me, what are the things that cause resistance for people to actually improve their brand? And I said, number one thing is storytelling. And the second thing was relationships. Yeah. Listen, we have a, a severe level of FOMO right now as businesses, especially coming through COVID, that we need to recognize that we are afraid that if I don't talk to everybody or appeal to everybody, then I'm leaving money on the table. And that is completely incorrect. And we use an excuse such as, but Kate, it depends on who I'm talking to. So I give one message over here and one message over there. Listen, I work with a ton of businesses where that's actually the case where we have like a layered messaging structure so that the CFO hears one message and the CMO hears another. But let's be very clear. Ultimately, you have a very deep level heart pain that you solve for your clients or your customers. And the job in your brand is to call that out as quickly as possible. Tell me what you do, tagline. Tell me how you solve my problem, value proposition statement. In order to get there, you have to decide who you're going after and why. And there are a couple brand principles, like we're talking about, Amber, that can help people overcome that fear of missing out and, and actually niche in in a way where they feel really excited 
about it. And so maybe we can unpack those for a second. Um, I was just going to ask, like, let's let's talk about and I'll let you lead where you want to go with that. I've got my questions, but you seem like you're on a roll. So I'm just going to shut up. (laughs) I told you I was caffeinated. Jump in here anytime. Oh, girl, I'm like, I don't have to do anything. I've just got my Uh, popcorn. I'm like, okay, yes. Now, now I'm following. So here's the biggest principle that we have to kind of remember when it comes to business in general and brand in general. And it's so funny. Um. I don't know why we all forget this, but we do. We all do. You are not in the business of convincing. Mm-mm. You are in the business of converting. It is therefore not your job to convince anybody and everybody to like you and, and, and buy from you. It is your job to convert the ones who will de- deeply resonate with your message, who have the highest probability of buying and have a sense of urgency for purchasing now. Yeah. So in order to go from convincing to converting, there's a couple principles that I teach, and I want you to weigh in on this. Maybe this is similar or different from what you teach, but the first rule that I teach is what we call the rule of 70%. So if you think about a big pie chart of all your revenue for a business, right? Okay. The goal of your brand is to not speak to 100%. Interestingly enough, you're going to want to speak to the one or two, maybe three top audiences that fill up 70% of where your money's coming from, aka the majority. Your brand speaks to the majority with a full acknowledgement that you may have these other outliers over here and your 30% who love you, find you, they come from a referral, but are you actively going after them? No. Like in my world, my majority is small business to midsize. Doesn't mean I don't serve enterprise level companies, but do I actively go and market to them? I actually don't. Totally different sales cycle. They're fewer and farther in between. And my passion is for founder-led businesses. That's where I get the most fun projects. So you have to kind of figure out what makes up my 70%. And then once you decide on a couple buckets, the second principle is this. You're going to go through building out a set of buyer criteria for each of those audiences. Mm -hmm. So not just simply saying, I serve mid-sized manufacturers, Kate. And I talk to CMOs and mid-sized manufacturers. I'm like, well, that's great, Bob. But imagine you walk into a room of 100 C-suite leaders of 100 mid-sized manufacturers. How do you actually know the 10, 20, or 30 whose business cards you need to get? Said differently, what are you listening for? Mm-hmm. What symptoms are you spotting and listening for and looking for like a doctor? Level of bureaucracy, coachability, communication style, personal accountability of the customer. Could be um, budget, could be yeah, decision-making of the team, right? You're you know, because not everybody's going to be ideal for you. And so this is about choice. So number one, niche into the 70%, your top two or three audiences. And then number two, actually try to paint a picture of what that ideal customer could really look like. Yeah. And what turns them off and what turns them on and like, what are they needing? Like, what are the things that drives them? What drives their decision-making? What drives their ability to follow the process? Like, it's not just like some people are like, and then what magazines do they read? And like, that's important because now you could understand like where you might want to advertise, but who's really advertising or writing in association magazines that works for some people, not for everybody. And so for Great me- for consumer products, but not for B2B services, right? right? I mean, well, I mean, maybe you could write for an association magazine as, you know, the expert, but like, is that the highest and best use of your of your time i don't know could be depending but like by and large now probably not so so what do we need to know about our ideal customers in order to get them to give us a chance to position our brand in front of them yeah. right 
That's exactly right. I mean, you're leading into a couple other really key pieces. So if you define ideal, and some of the things that come out when I'm talking with clients too, is they're like, I I ask them, think of the worst person you worked with. They're like, oh my God, remember that one group we worked with? And you can name all the reasons they were just a pain in the butt, right? Um, Terrible decision-making. They blamed you for things. They always thought they had the answers. So reverse order that, reverse it. So your ideal knows that they don't know everything. Willing and open to bring in an outside internal external person and pay for consulting. Like think about how you would frame that up then. Like you're looking for people that have that sense of character, businesses that have that character, even on the consumer side. The same would apply if you're selling a B2C product. You sell leggings to moms. Okay. Is this a Target shopper or a Walmart shopper? Where does she wear the leggings? How much money does she have? Well, yeah, because where does she actually show up? So all of that is defining what ideal looks like. But then there's this really interesting question that you're hitting on is, what do you do with that information yeah. with your brand? Yeah. It's really asking the question, okay, well, if I have to find the ideal prospects or I audiences, what rooms are those people already in, right. digitally or otherwise? Like, if you're selling fractional CMO services, why are you doing Facebook ads? Right. Is that where people go to find fractional CMO? Right? Go where they are. Yeah. LinkedIn, I say it at the end of every show, connect uh-huh. with us on LinkedIn is where we do business, but you know, <laughs> and there's people who are totally great for Instagram. They're highly visual oh, brands. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, not my world. It gets pretty boring. Like me holding another cup of coffee or a latte with a heart in it. Like there's only so much that you could do in one lifetime for my attention span, but man, I'll bust it I stare at my latte with my heart. No, I'm kidding. Uh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, and also, can we just also express of like, where does my brand fit in? Like, I know that, um, you know, we're, there are certain industries that we're just not the biggest fit for. Like we rock in hospitality, like vacation rentals, hotels, food and beverage, restaurant, bar. We rock in that space. We rock in real estate, construction, construction services, like granite fabrication. I mean, like those are industries that are all high level of service, um, high level of, of risk, if you will. Um, and then, and then also, um, a high need for flexibility. So if you were to go put, uh, we could, we could totally go into a medical or a bank and I'm not saying I've never worked in, you know, in a bank or whatever, but they're very specific process oriented. Like this is how it's done. This is the technical way of saying it. I don't want to say it that way because yes, that's sexy and sellable, but that's not really completely accurately, 100% technically the way that it is. And there you go. That's just not the space that we work in. We're all about emotional no. connection with. There you go. Where does your, where do your services and products come alive? So you start to look at how, and where do you have the most fun? Yeah. As your own business owner. So, you know, we go into business so that we're not having to do things this other person's way because we feel like our way is better. It's giving us freedom. There's some reason why we are taking on all the risk of being an entrepreneur. Um, and so I'm just speaking to business owners at this point. I know there's other people listening right. who might be applying this to the businesses that they serve from a very new perspective of marketing or sales. Um, but as a business owner, like what do you want your experience to be? And does your, your brand pitch and does your um, value prop and does your 
differentiating statement? Does that all support the kind of business you want to run and the type of experience you want to have? When I go into hospitality all day long into next day, like the way that I naturally show up as a, as a founder fits in that world. It's effortless. And so I think that's right. That level of it too, you know, there is, it's where, where is their energy? Where is it fun? Where yeah. is it natural? I look at, for me, I, my number one criteria when working with any organization, regardless of the size is I will not take a project unless the founder or CEO is in the room. Same. Oh, same. And it, it pisses people off. I'm like, okay. Oh well, yeah. You But think about it this way. You go spend all this money to have a CMO build your brand with me. And then what's going to happen? That CMO is going to walk in the door to the C-suite leaders of the board and they're going to poo-poo that whole thing. And that poor CMO, I just shot them in the foot. Whereas if we have that C-suite team in there because they hold the keys to the brand, then it's collaborative. Then that marketing leader's freed up to actually execute with a level of autonomy and trust and buy-in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have fun working with founders too because they are just visionary and they're energetic. And I used to work in construction industry actually. So when I was having this as a side hustle, I worked in construction for five years. And my favorite group to work with were my superintendents yeah. and my foreman on the, the job and I had a blast showing up in my jeans and my boots and my hard hat and doing trainings on branding and all sorts of things. And they first, they were like, really? But when we really got down to it, they started to recognize, you're right, I kind of am the face of this company because I'm the one that talks with the owner. I'm the one that's working with people on the job site with subcontractors and, and everybody else. And that's when the light bulb moments happened. And that's, for me, what got me so jazzed about the work that I do. Your job with your brand is you have choice who you work with. Go for where you work with people that they have those light bulb moments with what you deliver. Yeah. And and the money that you would earn from a customer who's not a fit for you is not enough to make up for the energy and the opportunity cost because the energy you're going to have to put into and there's nothing wrong with it, any industry. It's just that's not your jam. It's not your vibe. It's not it's your value proposition doesn't really live well in that space. And and then the opportunity cost is if you're putting all of this extra energy into this world that you don't really fit in, now you might have lost two easier. And I don't mean easy because like I love I love hard things. I'll just admit it. Like if it's not hard, I'm not really interested. But like and, and Amy, who you've talked to, but um, our ops manager, she's like, Amber, you attract the most complicated businesses. And I'm like, is it fun? <laughs> it's so fun. Like, give me all the evidence yes. work. Like, did you just get fun to buy a private equity firm? Come to mama. Let's discuss. Like, yeah. I know. Are you fast acquiring lots of companies? Come to mama. Let me help you. I know it looks like a train wreck, but it's not. I promise we're going to get it all sorted out. But those come easy and then you're on the struggle bus over here instead of putting your time attention highest and best value your, your zone of genius over here you know it's true i actually it's funny um i share about this in my book so i'm 37 and when i was 35 i was a single mom at the time so i have a daughter from my first marriage and actually now remarried as of may and i have four kids now uh-huh. so blended family but when i was 35 i was a single mom at the time i had my daughter and i almost had a heart attack And I have dealt with over 15 years of autoimmune disorders and major health issues. And it was really interesting. That was a wake-up call for me. And I had to begin to put bumpers on the bowling alley in terms of my time and my my day-to-day structure even. And it was really interesting. I only work until 4 p.m. now. I do not touch work after 4 p.m. I do not touch it on weekends. For you. I do not touch it on vacations. I tell my clients, if you hassle me after I've told you I'm on a vacation, you hassle me, I'm, you're going to get a fee. 
they know like they do not contact me they don't even wait to email me all their questions until i'm back why our mental and emotional energy as entrepreneurs is sucked in 35 directions and we have to start cutting things out that yes. where we're trying to compartmentalize in our brain your prospecting methods are doing the same thing if you're going after the wrong buyer let me tell you, the moment that I started going after the right people and actually working less hours in my day, my business tripled in one year. Yeah. Because and I was having more fun and at the pool with my daughter. I was taking vacations and I lost weight. And this is not pie in the sky. It's, it's, I'm such a skeptic. I'm such a skeptic. But it's so fascinating how many of us think that we can't do that. And gives you that power. You yeah. have keys to say no to the good and say yes to the great. Yeah. And yes. that's the biggest thing. Yes. You're so right on that. And and like we can all create a beautiful brand. We can, you know, have a strategy to position it. We can pull through in our marketing and our advertising and our sales conversations. But to what end if we are not feeling edified by the work that we're doing. Um, right. And I would even challenge those that who are working in a company doing the branding, marketing, advertising work that yes, you, you have to obviously position that brand the way that they need to, according to how the company has determined, like these are our ideal customers and this is the market share we want to gain. But um, you still have to find your way in that to serve yourself or you're never going to be happy. Like that's just human behavior. It's just how we're wired. If we're not getting something out of it, if we don't feel like we're plugged into something greater because of our gifts, it's just going to be a giant letdown. Just like with the business, your brand gives you a path forward for success. Mm -hmm. I want you to think of it. If you're listening to this and you are an employee of a brand and you've done great work and you believe it, but you know that there's some disconnect somewhere or you're, you're finding that you don't enjoy it or you don't have that energy anymore. You have the ability to give yourself permission to create a path forward. And that path forward is either going to be within the business or outside of the business. And either one's okay. Either one's okay. And I think that's the thing is your personal brand is as important as the corporate brand that you serve. And so what are you doing to further your personal brand? Are you walking into a networking situation and having your personal pitch down and you know how to hit at what you do and how you solve somebody's problem and how you're different? Because you can start working on that right now, my friends, and that's going to get you into the next key role. Yeah. That's going to break you out of a mold of just being, oh, I do branding. Yeah. Yeah. So much so. I, I mean, I just hung up with somebody right before I got on with you. We were talking through her personal brand and how she needed to position that. And, um, you know, my belief is and, and what we've won awards on is like the personal brand leads all the employer the personal brands, the leaders, even the people who are leading yes. each other because they're colleagues, like all those personal brands create an amazing employer brand where people actually want to come to work. They see the where their value fits into the big picture. They are rewarded and recognized for the things that are their natural gifts and talents and their experience. And then that makes them want to serve at their highest and best. That gives the discretionary effort. And then if you have, think Chick-fil-A, happy employees, then you have happy customers. Now you have a strong business brand, but one person can screw up that business brand. One employee, one personal brand can screw up the whole thing. Because to your point that you said earlier, the individual that I'm interacting with, with a brand, is representing that brand. So we like the foremen, we like the supervisors in first of all, because they don't mince words, they shoot you straight. Like I love those, I love that style of person, but they are the face of the construction company. 
if Bob or Nancy does or says something that either delights or, uh, you know, causes somebody to be distraught, that's the opinion of the brand. That's correct. And I think it's important when we look at great leaders and the makeup of great leaders and the makeup of great personal brands, they are written and they lead from a place of invitation and not desperation. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so the same principle applies to corporate brands. Are we leading from invitation, welcoming the right prospects to the table at the right time? Or are we leading from desperation, trying to go after everybody and in a turn having a very vicious long sales cycle, terrible margins, exhausted employees? overhead burden. We're not actually making that top line very high. And we're really only growing by 1% a year, if that. Yeah. Because you're not putting all of your resources and, and harnessing it all in the same direction to max. I mean, like, I love the way that you say it is that, um, and of course I don't, let me have it pulled up your statement of the path of least resistance to revenue. And so when I'm working with somebody on their brand and I walk them through all the different ways that their brand guide will serve them, I'm like, this is your Bible. This isn't about marketing. This is about how yes. you This is about, does this, does this choice that I'm about to make move me towards the mission, the vision, the values, or does it take me away from those things? That's correct. If I go into some kind of strategic alliance with this other brand, does that brand complement my values? Does it complement our personality and the way that we do business? Does that, is that a good fit or no? This helps us with our sales scripts. This helps us with our marketing or advertising or public relations. This helps us with, with hiring, with coaching, counseling, discipline, like this oh my God. is Preach. the thing. If you Preach. don't have this, then how do you know how you're going to get to anywhere? Because you don't have a foundation. You're just throwing bricks on something and hoping that house is going to stand. Thank you. And I love that you talked about sales scripts because I work with revenue ops teams all the time, RevOps teams, and yeah. we go deep and wide with sales leadership, marketing, and customer success to understand. Success it could be a hospitality. It could be the person that is literally there at the table handing on a menu. Yeah. Are they embodying the brand? And not only just the mission, vision, values, but the sales message. What do I expect when I walk in the door as the customer at a mm -hmm. restaurant? What do I expect when I work with Kate. What's the experience? What do I get? What are the outcomes that I would expect to have? This moves into sales scripting. You start to see impact on sales processes improving, bottom line improving, sales cycle. I had a client that's a SaaS, team, SaaS product. It went from a six-month sales cycle down to less than 60 days. Wow. Because that took that baby startup from barely making any money to... Yeah. Yeah, because you're getting clear on the value that you offer. And so now it's a consulting, like I've got, I've got a friend who's in sales and, you know, he always says like, I'm not here to sell you. Like yeah. while you have my time, I'm here to answer whatever question you might have to educate you on this purchasing decision. And if it's a fit, I am so happy to help her, like get you that thing that you need in your life. And if not, you know more than what you'd ever thought you'd know about this. And I exactly. got a person like, bye. And I'm the same way in sales. Like if, if you want to work with me and how we do business works for you and you feel like this, we can really solve your problems. I would love to work with you. But if you hesitate on that, go find somebody you're confident in. Like, I'm good. I got plenty of business here. I'm Amen. good. Amen. 
Do you realize you and I could geek out on this for about three hours? Yeah, girl, we need to go to Sicily and drink some <laughs> spritzes and have some potato chips. And for those of you who don't know, like in Sicily, like there's potato chips and uh, Sicilian yeah. olives like on every single table. Everything. Every restaurant, time. every snack, every aperitif, that's there. My, so, yeah. I married a man that hates olives and that's my favorite food. And so like I buy jars of them. At Me Costco, too. this poor man, he and I'm and when I go to Trader Joe's, I get all the kinds. Yeah, of course. So he and I, I, I'm like, that's a Spanish olive, that's a Greek olive, you know. So this poor man's sitting there just throwing up on the corner while I'm sitting there eating out of jars. So we Sicilians, I don't know if I can trust this man who does not like I know. olives. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, before we before we get to the final question that I ask everybody. The other thing that I've found, whether I'm working on personal brands, employer brands, business brands, whatever, which is all part of the brand, we know that, but mm-hmm. to divide it like that, it's just easier to kind of compartmentalize and tackle right. the time. Um, but really being able to differentiate themselves, like, well, like we'll work on a, a brand promise or we'll work on a personal brand promise. And I'm like, that's vanilla. That is baked chicken breast. Like we got to spruce this up, baby. We got to, we've got to figure out if we put a hundred people who could say that same sentence, what is it about you that I should choose you instead of the 99 other people who can say exactly what you just said? How do you get people there? It's actually tactically. And by the way, I love it because it's it's not, it's not even air fryer chicken breast. It is baked chicken yeah. breast. We got a problem. Yeah. yeah just salt. Uh, That's just, all. you know, non-salted. All right. So um, the way that I get them there tactically is in terms of statements, I think one thing to remember is you probably can't sum it up in one sentence. It's usually two or three. And it's a combination of what we call a value proposition statement. Here is the problem I know you're facing. Now take this action to solve that problem. So the good. number one step that you have to do as a team is to actually ask at the end of the day, what is the deepest level heart pain we solve for our customers? Mm. And if you can rally around that, then you can come up with your sentence. Yeah. You often get, we often get pulled into, and we solve this, and we solve this, and we do this, and we do, that's the how and the what. Uh-huh. Okay, we got to go up a Those layer. curricular problems. What's the core? What's the burning platform? At yeah. the end of the day, what's the thing that's keeping your customer up? And if you want to, you could go through, and we have this better process, and our people are, oh, when I hear differentiators, our people. Yeah. Everybody well, says that. Customer service. Sit down unless you're Amex Platinum. Just sit down with that comment. You don't get to win in that category. They've already got it. Okay, what Thank else you, you got? Thank you so much. And I have two of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yeah, I would, it's a personal. Let's go there. Okay, so here's the thing. The Really what we're talking about here is if you want somebody to sit up and take notice, in that first 30 seconds, your secret weapon is a value proposition statement that really calls out your heart pain that you mm-hmm. solve. That is the thing. Like if you've read it on a website, you've ever gone to somebody's website and in the first three sentences, you're like, oh my God, they get me. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going for. And yeah. it's about you guys as a team rallying around what is the deepest pain. If you can get to that, you can. your brand's going to be on fire. Yeah, because it's not about you and all your, you know, I always talk about the the iPod. So for those of you old enough to remember when that came out. Um, it was before it was also a phone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. But it also wasn't like they didn't let the tech guys come out and be like, it's got 47 gigabytes of blah, blah, blah. And it's got this nano receptor, blah, 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 blah. They didn't give you all the things that they did to make that be a thing. They said, I've got a thousand songs in my pocket. Would you like one? 
I don't have to hop out of my car at a uh-huh. red light and change my five CD disc changer Thank in my trunk. I just have this all right there in it, and I just hook it up, and it plays all my music. Like, and I don't have like a CD book or CD books plural of all of the CDs. Like, what? A thousand songs in my pocket. Now you're talking to me. That's there you go. Cool. That's that's exactly right. It's really it's that that quintessential piece that you can begin to wordsmith and do the impactful writing like you're talking about, but the step really is getting leadership aligned on what's the deepest level heart pain. Yeah. That's it. That's the kicker for writing a a, a wonderful brand. Yeah. Okay. All right. So bombshell, so much good stuff in this episode. And I want you to like, listen to it again. And I want you to write down everything that she said. And I want you to start working towards that. Now we're going to talk about how you can work with her, but before we even go there, I have to ask you the question we ask everybody. What is that number one parting piece of advice that you want a bombshell to know? Mm-hmm. Bombshell meaning bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman in business. We're not 100% confident all the time. Sometimes we fall down, but we get back up and we go again. So talking to that woman, what does she need to know? You are not in the business of convincing. You are in the business of converting. It is up to you to decide today and remember that you have choice, that you can put a stake in the ground and say, this is who I am. This is exactly who I actually want to serve. And by making those decisions, you can lead from that place of invitation versus desperation. You will see a transformation in all parts of your life, not just your business. And that's what as bombshells, that's what it's all about. I love it. Invitation versus desperation. That is a tweetable. All right, sis. Um, let me pull up all of your things again, because um, we want to make sure that we're hanging out with Kate online. So you could go to katedilio.com. D is Kate with a K, A-T-E-D-I-L-E-O.com. And you'll find all kinds of good stuff there. She is on LinkedIn. This is where big girls do business. So get on LinkedIn. Um, saying- the only place I do business, you and I can have a whole conversation. I spent 18 months testing every single platform. Yeah. Oh, I used to crush it on Facebook, but that's not my space anymore. Like my business has evolved. My people have evolved. LinkedIn has evolved. Like I'm just... I just live on LinkedIn. If y'all are listening and you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn. You can certainly check out the website. My book, Muting the Megaphone, is available on Amazon.com as well. You can also go to my website to learn about it. But if you're at the point where you're like, how do I tailor audiences? How do I actually come up with a brand tone of voice? How do I actually write? It's only 100 pages. It is the pure exact tactical process that I take every client through. So for you as a business owner, it might be the perfect guide for you to actually go do that work. I love it. So good. So good. All right. So we're going to hang out again. We've already decided yes, we that. Book that. And then somehow we're going to Sicily together. Yes. And then um, we're, we're going to take some stages together and we're going to have fun. Um, but thank you so much for being yes, on the show. Thank you. So much value. This is amazing. Thanks, Amber. Thank you. All right, Bombshell. I don't know. Like, if you know anybody in business, you need to send them this episode. Like, please share it. Get the word out. Let Kate be that inspiration and Sherpa of how this gets done. You had some really good nuggets today. Um, Make sure that you like, subscribe, all that good jazz. It's just, it's helping us reach more women in business. And you know, we have to stick together. We've got a tall enough mountain to climb without helping each other up that mountain. So um, just keep that in your heart. Make sure that you are living as a bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman in business. And I will see you on the next episode. 
Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit AmberHurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.